You are listening to You, Me, and an Album, episode 48. I'm Al Melchior. I, I like that music, that kind of thought I ran into you down on the street. And it sounds like it's an older relationship he had that now he's just dreaming about in his head. And then he burned all the photographs just to get it out of his mind. But that kind of is a little bit distant from the rest of the story. That was Ray Castronova talking about Green Day's 2004 album, American Idiot. Ray is the guitarist and frontman for the band Streetwise, and he's also the founder of DayQuest Records. Ray, I'm really excited to talk to you about your career in music, as well as an album that I'm really long overdue to check out. So thanks so much for joining me here, and welcome to You, Me, and an Album. Oh, Al, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, this is uh, I've really been looking forward to this. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, you've got your band Streetwise. Uh, you released the album Crossing Bridges uh, earlier this year, uh, back in the spring. Am I correct on the, the timing with that? Yes, you are, yeah. All right. Well, you know, I, the little bit that I know uh, in, in reading up on you and uh, learning about your, your career in music, I know that you you had a music career when you were very young and uh, then you you changed directions and you, you had your family and, and had a career in construction. Now you've come back to music. So I'm just very interested in learning more about that progression. And if there was a particular turning point, maybe that that brought you back to a, a musical career. Yeah, so I was growing up in Brooklyn, and then you know we had a, we used to play, and it was actually sometimes I say it was in like that when punk rock had to it started to there was a lot of it going on, like the Sex Pistols, Susie and the Banshees, and things like that. So we had a band in Brooklyn called the Ray Tomics. There was three of us: Ray, Tom, and Mike. So we became the Ray Tomics. So we played in all these places everywhere, and then uh, we were approached by a couple of record companies, but ended up aiming our direction with one particular major label with Capitol Records. So we then decided that, okay, and then we were going to go record in the most prestigious recording studio in the world, the Hit Factory in Manhattan. So after I brought that news home to my wife, she kind of gave me an alternative because she was pregnant that that road really won't work with this road. So think about it a little bit and she'll back me up. So I thought about it and I decided, you know, I brought a child to this earth. I got to take care of it. I got to be there. And I always knew that at some point, somewhere, somehow, I would get back into this. So throughout that time, fast forward 30 years, my kids are growing up, they're on their way. And it worked to my advantage, actually, because I have a pretty successful construction company as well. We do, you know, mid-rise and high-rise in the middle of Manhattan. And so what happened was about six years ago, when I relocated to Riverhead, I bought a building. And it was an old, um, like, 1924 building. But through, when I decided that, you know, I put the music on hold, I always kept playing I always kept myself in physical shape for if the opportunity ever comes, I got to be ready for it. So about six years ago, we buy this building. My office is out here now. And on the third floor, it's a ballroom. There's 5,000 square feet. There's dance floors and disco lights and things like that. Because it used to be an old fraternity for the Oddfellas. They're like a spinoff of the Mason's Lodge, the Independent Order of Oddfellas. 
So I told my daughter, I said, you know what? I'm keeping that third floor for me. That was six, seven years ago. I said, I'm going to get as good as I was or better. And I'm going to reach out to everybody and see if that opportunity still exists. So fast forward, I wrote some music, reached out. And then I got attention from record labels again and the Hit Factory. The owner of the Hit Factory, Eddie Germano, had passed away. But his son, Troy Germano, remembered me because I saved from the day I met Eddie Germano at the Hit Factory. I was fascinated when I walked there. I see platinum and gold albums everywhere. It was a little intimidating. But then when you got to meet Eddie Germano, he used to be a truck driver, sang in lounges on the weekend and decided that he's never going to make it in that career. So we opened the Hit Factory. He wrote on his card, Raymond, you ever need me after I told him I wasn't going to be in it. So I sent it to his son, Troy, and he welcomed me in. So after I started reviewing the contracts from the record companies, I said, well, I don't need that anymore. I'm going to start my own record company because it's not cheap to finance all this recording and the PR people and the media people and things like that. So after they welcomed us back in, I, we started DayQuest Records. I put together a uh, handful of real, real seasoned musicians. So our bass player, uh, Joe Martinez, he toured the world with Chubby Chaka and Irina Cara. So when we're playing at places, we do our own little version of the twist and people love it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a sax player who's toured the world. He plays in Jamaica in the summertime. I mean, in the wintertime and comes back here. I have a really well-seasoned, um, you know, other guitarist with me. I got Linda Mackley, who's our drummer. She just plays, and, you know, they were all active. So I put together a real seasoned group, and here we are. So you talk about, uh, you know, finding that building and, and reserving the third floor to yourself. Now, was this, uh, I imagine it just must have been a really difficult decision, you know, all the way back when you, you were at that that crossroads and decided to put music to the side. So, I mean, was this a thing where you were just really, over the course of many years, looking for that right opportunity? Or was it really just kind of uh, out of sight, out of mind, and then you saw this space and said, oh, wait, this, you know, this can happen again? You know, I looked for the opportunity. I kept, I always kept writing music. I always kept, you know, guys would ask me, you know, we're playing at this place. You want to come and play with us for a little bit, do a few songs, things like that. I always stayed active. I always went back to the legends that I love in the music world and keep listening and keep learning because you learn from your legends. That's how you get better, right? So, well, all right. Speaking of legends, this is something that I, I wanted to ask you about and I ask uh, most people that do come on here. So who, who are your musical legends? Who are the people that you look up to? Maybe people who have inspired and influenced you. Yeah, so this will go back to how I classify a genre of music because we get asked that and I have no answer. So I made up our own genre and I call it music stew. And the reason why I call it Stu, and you listen to it, you'll hear some old, old blues from B.B. Freddie King. You'll hear even back as far as, you know, Floyd Anderson, he, those old soul Carolina New Orleans blues players. Then you kick in later on 
and you have the legends like Eric Clapton and the Beatles and Tommy. Tom, I mean, the Who. Tommy the Who is good. And then the Phil Collins. I see you have Genesis back there as well. <laughs> it's not not a video podcast, at least not yet. But yeah, that's uh, yeah. I've got a little poster behind me. Yep. And then even as far as the Stray Cats and then the Motown Supremes, they all got to me. This all the Mo and the Temptations. So our music has a. Um, a, a different kind of a, a mix of stew. Elvis. And then my parents, I loved that Frank Sinatra sound. And I loved the Tony Bennett sound. And I loved the, the Crosby sound. And yeah, and the Rat Pack. Those guys are legends in their own kind. Well, that definitely is a stew. And, you know, for, I gave, gave your album a couple of listens. And, you know, that that's a perfect description. Because it is really hard to pigeonhole. Uh, your music into any one genre. You, you do hear a lot of different things. So I, I like that term a lot. Uh, I think that that fits very, very precisely for uh, what, what you put together. So I, I also want to go back to uh, go back even a little bit further in time. Uh, so again, reading up on you a little bit and learning that you learned guitar from Don Commanda uh, in Brooklyn. And yeah. uh, also read in that same piece that uh, Warren Cucciarulo of um, Missing Persons and Duran Duran was also a student. So were you contemporaries? Did you actually wind up playing or working together at any point? No, nope. we just grew up in Canarsie High School as friends. Warren Warren was at that time. So Warren lived and breathed for Frank Zappa. He knew Frank Zappa songs in and out. So Warren originally started out playing with Frank Zappa for about five years because he would go to every Frank Zappa concert. He'd just sit home and work on Frank Zappa has some complicated music and he would just Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa. And one day Frank Zappa said, noticed Warren in the audience and said, you want to come to tomorrow's show, meet me in advance and help me set up my equipment. This is one of his loyal fans. So when that happened, Warren started talking to Frank. He says, I play a little guitar. I play a little guitar. He plays every Frank Zappa song, note for note. <laughs> All right. So Frank says, you want to go up on stage and just play my guitar a little bit so I can do a sound check. And Warren started playing Muffin Man. Girl, you thought he was a man, but he only was a puffin. No cries was heard in the night as a result of him stuffing. And Frank took him on tour for the next five years. Frank likes to circulate. In fact, when Frank would come into town, we'd all hang out and I'd be in a limo with Frank Zappa driving around with black coffee and not filter cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, so Warren, we just talked, we were friends and I actually learned about Don Commander, the guitar teacher from Warren. Oh, okay. Okay, well, that, that's an incredible story that you just uh, told about Warren and Frank Zappa because I thought back to, and I hope I'm remembering this right, that I, I saw a video, an interview with uh, Steve Vai and him uh, trying out for, for Frank Zappa and uh, just him talking about just what an absolutely nerve-wracking experience that was yeah. for, some, for somebody to actually you know become a part of, of uh, Zappa's band. is uh, that, that really speaks volumes. Yeah, he was, uh, Warren would say, he was a real disciplined guy. He really was. And the music was just complicated, but it was great stuff. Yeah, oh, no, absolutely. Um, and then because Frank circulates musicians, he Warren then, when he broke up with Frank, he grabbed their drummer, who was Terry Bozio, 
And then he got Terry Bozio's wife, Dale Bozio, and they formed Missing Persons. So I have to say that as I was preparing for this show and reading up on you and reading up on Warren and watching some Duran Duran videos after Warren joined the group. And I said, boy, he looks familiar. <laughs> and so then I went to the Missing, per- missing Persons, uh, one of their videos that I'd you know, seen you many, go. many yeah. times you know, growing up. And I was like, oh yeah, that's why he looks familiar. Yeah, that was a real blast from the past for me. <laughs> All right. But uh, yeah, very, very uh, great guitarist in his own right. So, uh, all right, let's, let's fast forward it here. We're here to talk about Green Day and American Idiot. And so for those who have listened to uh, more than just this episode, you probably know that the, the premise for this podcast and really the reason I started it was having a realization that I had these just immense holes in my musical knowledge and wanted to catch up and, and at the same time, you know, have fun conversations with people because I really missed that, you know, growing up and going to a friend's house and the friend would be really excited about an album. And so that friend would introduce me to the album or, you know, maybe go the other way around. And so this is sort of an attempt to to virtually recreate that uh, that type of situation. And in reading up on American Idiot, I really did not realize what a huge album this was commercially, culturally, uh, came out in 2004. And this was a time yep. I had moved to Miami a few years uh, before that. My wife and I moved to Miami and the rock and roll radio in Miami was terrible, or at least I thought so in you know, 1999, 2000. So I listened to a lot of hip hop and R&B pretty much yep. throughout that decade of the 2000s completely checked out on rock and roll which was the music I grew up on the music that I loved so albums that came out in that decade like this one I I really missed out on so it may st- strike some listeners as strange that this is an album that's fitting the format of the show of a of an album that I really don't know but uh, I'm glad that you're here to uh, to introduce me to it and so I certainly have my reasons for being really excited about talking about it but You'd sent me a short list, but this was one of the albums on it. So what was it about American Idiot that made the final cut for you as an album to talk about here? So Green Day, when they first came out with Dookie, they got my attention. And that was probably Dookie just did, it was, uh, American Idiot was second to Dookie, but that's, they got my attention for the way they composed, for the way they orchestrated their music. And they had that little flavor of a punky sound, you know, and they, and they could fall back like Boulevard of Broken Dreams. They could go back and have some ballads if they want. So when American Idiot came out, I was learning about how, you know, well, the first song, American Idiot, is based on um, the ability that news and media controls people's minds and guides them in the direction they want to go in. So once I saw that, you listened, and each song links almost like, well, they made a Broadway show about on Green Day. So you could see how with the whole story is written from the first song all the way to the end to What's Her Name. So it kind of got my attention about how they write. First, 
you know, I, I like the, how they orchestrate their music. And then I saw how that whole story fell into play. And then once the story falls into play, you create more of a relationship with the album. And Green Day, even to this day, always, you know, fell into as far as quality music. Guy, they got my attention. So that, yeah, that's interesting that, you know, this wasn't just kind of a one off for you. So you were you were a fan of Green Day, you know, long yeah. before this album came out. So uh, where, where would you place it in terms of their discography because of those extra elements of the, the story? Does that put it a level higher or uh, are there other Green Day albums that maybe you like as much or more? No, it puts it up a little higher. It's right there with Dookie as well. But I like, you know, the story. So even in our music, I like to tell stories and I and people relate to the story. If it's all over the place, you know, it's. It doesn't get, I'll give quality on the musicians and the type of music, but also the story behind that song. So they are good at writing their stories. And that gets my attention because I kind of write in that way as well with us about a story, about a story that we can all relate to. So I want to ask you about one element of the way that the story is structured on this album, because it's it's not something that's unique to, to Green Day, but they have some very long tracks that are, broken up into different movements and it's interesting and maybe i'm even jumping a little bit ahead here but since i've I've already started on this path i'm going to go ahead and on the second track jesus of suburbia so there's there's five different sections and they're they're definitely they're very distinct the first time i listened to it i was in the car and didn't look at the track listing or anything and then when i got back home and did look at the track listing it's like wait i only listened to three songs (laughs) because see like i listened to about seven or eight and in fact i did so I'm still kind of churning over whether that's that's a plus or a minus in my mind for this album, because if we just look at Jesus of Suburbia, there's those five songs within a song. And I think each of those songs could have been developed to be, instead of a two-minute snippet, a part of a larger song, each one could have been a three or four-minute more developed song. Have you ever thought about that and have any preferences as to whether that works just perfectly for this album or if you could see an alternative version of it? Yeah, I could see an alternative version. It's, you know, it, it got a little long and sometimes because it links on to other type of songs, you could kind of lose somebody's attention because there's one part in it. I don't remember which one it was. It goes off a little bit off to the main. So I, I would think that 
yes, they could have broken that up into a couple more, but and and the length of it sometimes becomes a little too long. So if I'm if I'm doing something that I have that kind of time, yeah. But you know, when you're <laughs> listening, when you're listening, sometimes you look for you know you're good for three, four, sometimes four and a half minute songs, and you look to move on. Well, if you could redo this album, uh, work with Green Day perhaps, and and produce a, a different version of this album, the thing is, if you expand those parts of the songs out you're taking a long album it's about almost a, an hour long and you're, you'd be making it longer without cutting something out so basically this is a very roundabout way of me asking like are there parts of the album that you maybe would take out in order to make space to develop some of the the parts that you like more yeah there is there's there's a song in there um what's the name of that song it's actually what's her name at the end you know at okay. the end of the song what's her name is almost like a, a relationship that happened and never happened. I that as far as an ending, I would take that out and replace it with those other songs. Okay, okay. My general, this is I'm just going to make a very general impression, and I'm sure that we'll dig into the individual tracks a little bit more. But I did feel like this album started to lose my interest a little bit towards the end. Not necessarily yeah. that final track that you're talking about, but about halfway through like the first half i i was so impressed i thought this this album was just great and overall i really like this album a lot but yeah that the second half i felt like there were some songs that probably could have could have been taken out yeah and i'm not sure why i'm not sure if it's too much of uh, of a same thing because I don't feel like musically the album is really that varied from track to track i mean as you mentioned there's slower songs, softer songs, some different moods, but Green Day's sound is what it is. There's nothing there that really struck me as like, wow, I can't believe Green Day went there and did that. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. So did you have that experience of finding that maybe the second half was a little weaker than the, than the first or was it just more songs kind of scattered throughout? You know, I did. I felt a couple of them at the end, they that weren't really... Uh, doing it like the beginning song. So that's why I would agree with you. We could el eliminate that and make the stronger ones take on more time. Okay. Of course, it's complicated because they are telling a story here and I'm not sure what you take out and keep the story intact, but we'll we'll get to that. So let's let's go backwards. And this is this is been a different discussion so far because usually uh, I don't uh, focus on the negative so early in an episode, but uh, I don't know that is just something that struck me, but let's, let's start at the beginning and we can uh, you know geek out over these tracks that we both really like. So starts off with the, the title track, uh, American idiot. And uh, of course, as the, the title track and the first track of a, uh, a concept album, it sets the stage for it. But uh, I, yeah, I just think it's a great song. Just, as a standalone. Yeah. The way he explains, you know, about, you know, the media and how it's all out there to kind of persuade people and the way they're thinking here and there. So that kind of kicks it off. So the, it's again, it's context of 2004 Bush administration. Some of the songs really deal with the specifics of the politics right head on. And some are more vague. Uh, I think there is consistency in the theme, but sometimes uh, Billy Joe Armstrong is a little bit more, more specific in, in the lyrics, but 
yeah, the first couple of tracks, uh, it's very clear what he's talking about here. Uh, well, let's let's get to that that second track because I just feel like there's so much to unpack in Jesus of Suburbia. So, what sort of uh, impressions do you have of this track? Or clearly, you seem to really like it and like all the individual parts. So, what really stands out for you? Well, how somebody came into a town where they were unsure of, they were wanted to be accepted a little bit more. And the story behind it has different ways, you know, it, every, everybody has where they're confident and everybody has where they're not so confident. I don't like using the word insecurities, but where they're not so confident. So it kind of works in a way that it can be addressed in both ways and how somebody can't, you know, work around things that are a little more difficult if they're not accepted and they keep moving on and try to get things accomplished. Is there anything musically about this track or maybe the five tracks uh, within the track that uh, that really make this one to, to go back to? Yeah, I like the way it was composed. It has almost like a play feeling. It kind of almost reminded me of when they did come out with Tommy and the Who. It was like a little rock opera back then. Yeah, well, I said to my wife, my wife really likes Broadway musicals. And I said, you, you got to listen to this album because it feels like it was written to be a musical. And I, my understanding... and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding was it wasn't really written to be a musical. That was just an adaptation that came after the fact. Correct. It, 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 sound, it sounds like it was written to be one. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that really impressed me right off the bat is that Billy Joe Armstrong's voice, it sounds different than it does on Dookie and on some of the, the earlier albums, because one of the things, and it's not something I necessarily disliked about Green Day, but he has a very quirky vocal quality. And that seems to be gone by and large on this album and definitely on this track. Like he just sounds just like a straightforward rock and roll singer. Yeah. Um, just a, a much, I guess, smoother delivery, maybe in a way a little bit more generic, but I just feel like it fits, it fits the material really well. Yeah, I was thinking of the same way. I, and it's possible that it's because it's more of a singing how it's composed. You know, they play a lot of stuff that's just outright rock and roll. That Do I like every one of their songs? No. Do I like every one of every band's songs? No. <laughs> it's, it's, it gets into the category of, I don't want to say noise, but there's a lot going on and there's a lot of... Uh, items in there that don't really you know work with each other but in here he was actually had to do some really good singing what about uh billy joe as a guitarist uh with yourself of course being a guitarist has any influence rubbed off there is he a guitarist that you admire or do you maybe admire him more for the the singing and the songwriting i like him for the singing and the songwriting so you know i, I like you know as far as his guitarist i mean and the writing of it all, it's, it's not complicated work. 
Do I play some Green Day songs? Yeah, I like Green Day. So I like, you know, I long write my own music. I like to play other people's songs our own way. So I agree. It's not, it's not his guitar playing. It's more of his writing and composing. All right. Well, uh, the next two tracks, which run together, like a lot of these tracks do run together, uh, Holiday and uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. So these are the two two of the three songs that I knew from the radio. And Holiday, actually, again, this, this is really an indication of how little attention I was paying to rock music at this time. I don't think I heard Holiday until maybe five, six years ago. I don't recall hearing it. Um, and it, it's a great song. I, to me, this is my favorite stretch of the album, these two songs together, which really do flow is, is almost like one song. So how do you uh, view this this stretch of the album? Yeah, so we're still going with, you know, Holiday and as far as the type of music and how he's backing off on, you know, in the beginning, even before Dookie, they, they could get pretty aggressive. And he's backing off and still the musical style. And then, of course, you know, Boulevard of Broken Dreams about loneliness, about all the things that, and it, that slows down a little bit. So... I, we're still going in a, in a direction of you know his type of music and composing that's more it's it's re, more people can relate to it. If he just stays in that one you know style of punk, it's only one place that it'll only grab a certain audience. But here it's it's he's still doing some pretty good music. Well, I I really do like that uh, that tremolo on Boulevard of Broken Dreams and. I have to admit that when I would hear this song on the radio that I had this reaction of thinking, well, this, this has been sort of done before, but I think that was very ungenerous of me to, to view it that way because really listening to this album as a whole and, and paying more attention to it, I think it it's really to great effect on that song because it obviously it gives the song some propulsion and some momentum, but also I feel like it gives it that kind of sad feeling. Yeah, that that tremolo effect, yeah. uh, and then there you know there's a little bit of piano mixed in as well, which just kind of adds to the somberness. I I just think it's it's a it's a great song that's really arranged beautifully. I'm walking down the line that divides me somewhere in my mind on the borderline of the edge and where I walk along. Yeah, that, that tremolo adds to it. We just, actually, we're back in, at the Hit Factory ourselves doing some recording, and I just added some tremolo. We have a song that has like a little 50s sound to it, and that little tremolo brings it right back again. It gives it that identity. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a cool thing. And I can't remember where I read or heard this, but somebody somewhere made the comment about that, you know, there's, and again, this is not anything terribly profound, but that there's nothing really, uh, original in music anywhere. Everything is copied. And it's a question of how, do, how much do you make it your own? Uh, and so, like I said, I think I was very ungenerous in terms of the way that I 
thought about that element of the song. I, I do feel like Green Day really made made that effect their own in the song, and it was exactly the right thing for it. You're right. That's the way we're here to learn from the legends because you're right. <laughs> I don't know how much more new stuff you can, but if you grab their stuff and put your own style and flavor and passion to it, you can authenticate it. Yeah, so I think they did that really well here. So the next track is Are We the Waiting? I like this well enough. Like I said, I the, this first probably half or so of the album, I just really enjoyed it. I didn't really completely understand where this fit in with the story. I I don't know. I I, I think I need to listen to it a few more times to really uh, have something to say about it in terms of what's distinctive about it. So I'm just curious as to how you feel about this song. So that's the one that I have the least amount of knowledge about that I've probably skipped all over on many times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that didn't really grab me. Interesting. Okay. So maybe right. it's not just the fact that I haven't listened to it enough not times. <laughs> okay. But if I got the if I got the album going and I go through it, I'll go through it. But it's not one of the ones that really grabbed. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have that feeling for it yet, but like I said, just listening to it, especially the first couple of times listening to it more casually, it just it's it, it keeps the album going. There's you know a very sing songy chorus. And Yeah, nothing that really, really grabbed me. But I do want to talk about the next track in a little bit more detail, St. Jimmy, because I think here's where you start to get a little bit of the meat of the story, some of the specifics. So I I just think that the story is really interesting because I'm, I'm actually thinking, based on now having listened to this album, of doing an episode that's going to feature this album and maybe a couple of others that are like Hero's Journey type stories. Uh, cause that just obviously comes up a lot in culture, comes up a lot in, in rock music on, on concept albums. And so, you know, we get introduced, we've been introduced to the Jesus of suburbia. Now we're introduced to, to St. Jimmy. So what, what's, what's your interpretation of the song and where it takes the story? Right. So St. Jimmy is, uh, Jesus of suburbia gets to meet St. Jimmy and help him maybe guide him down the right roads, try to help assist in his ways of thinking and how he's feeling about certain things. So St. Jimmy is almost like St. Jimmy. He's going to help guide him in a way. (laughs) Yeah, there was one line I latched onto. And again, I don't know if I may be giving it more importance than it deserves, but uh, there's a line, he's the patron saint of denial. And with that going into the next song, Give Me Novocaine, that was, I think, what really kind of put, you know, an underline under that that line of uh, the patron saint of denial. Because it took me a few listens to kind of get a sense of, well, who is St. Jimmy? Right. Like you said, he's somebody trying to provide some guidance and direction to to the uh, Jesus of suburbia. But, yeah, I think it's like this one side of the coin where it's like numbing out and, and, and going into denial. And then you're right, and then Novocaine comes in where he needs Novocaine to maybe, you know, and more not in the way 
maybe in the way of Novocaine to keep him numb, but he needs it. He's using that Novocaine to maybe help, uh, you know, minimize some of the uncomfortable feelings he has. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly how I was reading it as well. But it, it took me a while to get to that with uh, Give Me Novocaine, even though the lyrics are pretty plain, the title is pretty plain. But that drumbeat at the beginning, I, I really couldn't get past that. And I see you smiling. So I'm guessing you heard what I heard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so definitely heard uh, both the Blue Sky by by you two there. But another example, again, of yeah. where I could have could have you know just said oh well you know they're they're ripping off you too here but i i got past that pretty quickly because i think that they didn't just rely on that beat to make the song it's just an element of it And it's like, like you say, it's, yeah, he has so much new music now that has so many fingerprints of the legends years ago that you could, you could hear, even if it's two or three notes, how it stuck, stuck out so many years ago. Right. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, is hard, hard to miss <laughs> that one. Uh, all right. Well, then we get introduced to the other, uh, of the, the third of the three main characters here and she's a rebel. This is where we get the first reference to what's her name. So I, I do, I like this little, um, sequence here. Really. I'd say a three song sequence. She's a rebel, extraordinary girl and let letter bomb, which focus more on, on this character. So, uh, just, wondering again what you think of the character how the story progresses here or musically or anything really about these tracks that 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 grab you when you listen to it yeah so in these next tracks she's a rebel i like the um the music side of it again the story side of it that i guess he's starting to go and get feelings and starting to meet uh certain he's he's coming out of his shell a little bit and meeting some uh Maybe some feelings, or he's starting to feel some passion about things. She's a symbol of resistance, and she's holding on my heart like a hand grenade. But more along the music lines again on those, all the way to what's her name. I like their music and their style versus that kind of a story. So, all right, well. I'm so tempted to kind of jump ahead here because I, I found the story really perplexing, which is part of the reason why I, I am thinking of revisiting this album soon in, in another episode, because I just, I see this come up on a lot of concept albums where the the story is really sort of vague. And that was, this was something that was even, I think on the Wikipedia page for the album that Billy Joe Armstrong kind of was running out of time, running the lyrics and he wasn't happy with them. And so the story kind of wound up being vague as a result. Yeah. And right. yeah. So is that something that makes the album more frustrating or less enjoyable for you? Or do you just, I mean, I've talked a lot on this show about being much more focused on music than lyrics. So, you know, you could also certainly overlook that aspect of it, but how does that affect your, your listening experience? Yeah. Well, I, I like, you know, the story plays a different part 
and the way humans are attracted to things. You know, sometimes the music isn't so great, but it's a great story and you get attracted to it. Sometimes the story isn't so great and the music's great and you get attracted to it. But then the real win is that when you have both those ingredients. So, right, I got the music end of it and that attracts me more than those three kind of stories. Yeah. All right, so so this doesn't really fall in that last category of the the whole package that you've got the the compelling story and the really compelling music. So this is really more music over story. Music more, yeah, music over story, more music yeah. over story, right? Right, because you know the the first ones in the beginning are the ones that grab you, and then you get interested to go and carry on and carry on, and now all of a sudden I'm losing a little bit because of those stories. All right. All right. So what would be an example for you of an album that really does have the, the complete package? That's a good question. <laughs> so there's an album by um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. California Nation or something. I don't remember that. Uh, exact Californication? California, Californication. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. another one where I, I know the radio hits, but have never heard that one front to back. Yeah. Yeah. That. The Red Hot Chili Peppers are real good artists. They're another one. Okay, okay. That, and and they have some good stories as well. That I could listen to that from beginning to end. And then you know, if you really want to get one, I'll listen to the Supremes' greatest hits from beginning to end and love every one of them. But it, yeah, in terms of us, well, you mentioned Tommy, so you know I, that clearly I would think would be an example then of yeah. Uh, I should put words in your mouth, uh, but to me, that's certainly one where the story and the the music meet, match each other. Yeah, exactly. Yep, that's a whole other one, and that's—I mean, that was that was a real rock opera. That was that was great. Uh, all right, all right. Well, uh, I, I do want to get back to some of these tracks, especially the next one that comes up is "Wake Me Up When September Ends," and this, of course, which was a huge hit—a song that I did know really well before um, listening to the album in its entirety. I did not know that the song was about the death of Billy Joe Armstrong's father uh, when Billy Joe was just 10 years old. Uh, he died of esophageal cancer. So it doesn't fit the the strict narrative of the of the album, although I, I think it still kind of fits in nicely because like you were like you were talking about, Ray, um, there's there's this push and pull of numbing out versus feeling. And so I, I still feel like it kind of fits. And, and, you know, musically, I think it's a great song. Yeah, it, I, I like it, and it does fit in in a way because it has, you know, I'm thinking he grabbed that. It must have been on his mind. Does it fit the whole album? A little bit, not a wham right into the album, but maybe something popped in his head. Maybe something related him to that. And he just decided that I want to throw this in in memory of my father some way because it's, you know, it, it does have its feeling of, Let's say, uh, um, you know, um, memory and sorrow. Like my father's come to pass, seven years has gone so fast. Wake me up when September ends. Do you have a preference for the, the types of songs that, that Green Day does, these more slower paced? ballad type songs uh versus the more energetic punky ones no as long as it's the right quality i like all of them there are there are some of them more than others 
So in terms of this album, would you consider Wake Me Up When September Ends a, a highlight or not one of the better tracks? No, it's a highlight. I like it. I do. The way it's composed is, you know, and, and but you, you, you've listened to it. So you got to listen to it a few times before you really get what it's about. Yeah. And it would have taken me longer if I hadn't cheated <laughs> and read about it. I think it would have probably taken me a good while longer. To, fi- to figure that out. So we do just have two tracks left. We already talked a little bit about the closer. What's her name? I do want to come back to that, but we have one more stab here at a, you know, an epic long song with lots of different movements in it in homecoming. And this for me was probably the most frustrating part of the album because Jesus of, of suburbia was just so tight and melodic and uh, passionate. And I just loved it. And I did want, as we talked about earlier, like I, I at the same time loved the version that's on this album and would also love to hear longer versions of each of the five parts of it. I just couldn't get into Homecoming and, and the individual parts of it. It just, the album felt a little spent at this point. You're right. And Homecoming to me is another vague one. So if I wasn't going through the whole album, I might skip over that one. It just, right, it just seemed like an outcast of the whole album. Can you pinpoint, because I tried to, and obviously I haven't listened to this album as often as you have or, or over as long of a period of time. So I think it will take me a while to pinpoint exactly what it is. Or, you know, for I know, maybe it's a grower and maybe it's, I could come back in two weeks and say, oh, you know, I really misjudged it. But I mean, is there anything you can pinpoint about Homecoming that just misses the mark? No, I don't think that the music arrangement or the lyrics were really that pristine. There's something about that that just didn't attract me. Maybe it attracts others. You know, we're all different humans. We get attracted to different things. But that one just didn't grab me. And it wasn't one that I would listen to over and over again. All right. Well, I do want to come back to What's Her Name, which is the final track. And I won't say it's close to my favorite on the album. But I I think at least so far, I like this maybe a little better than you do. I think it's an interesting track because it's one. I said it's a lot of the same thing. This has a really different feel to it than most of the other tracks. Billy Joe's singing style on it is a little bit more, feels like maybe holding back a little bit, a little more reserved. It's just a, a different energy. And plus, it's just an opportunity for him to resolve this story for us. And it's a weird ending because, again, you've got uh, Jesus of Suburbia, leaves home, leaves Suburbia, encounters uh, St. Jimmy, who's encouraging him to numb out. And then you've you've got What's-Her-Name, who's encouraging... Uh, and again, I, I, you know, I don't know how off base I admit this interpretation, but no, you good. But, but uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> encouraging Jesus of suburbia, you know, to to feel uh, and uh, and live by his values. And then in this last track, it's just, you know, I burned all her photos, and right. I can't remember who she is, and it's you know, it's what's her name. And again, maybe it's just that. Billy Joel Armstrong didn't have the opportunity to, to really flesh this out, or it could just be more of an intentional thing of leave it to the listener to figure out why the story takes this turn. But yeah, it's definitely not a, just a, a neat wrapped up ending. And I'm still not sure how I feel about that. 
Yeah, so it, 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 I, I like that music, that kind of thought I ran into you down on the street. And it sounds like it's an older relationship he had that now he's just dreaming about in his head. And then he burned all the photographs just to get it out of his mind. But that kind of is a little bit distant from the rest of the story. It feels like it. I really gave this some thought because I think that was the intention here was to give you something that was not straightforward and, and make you think about the interpretation. And, and the best I could come up with is that because at least to my understanding that what, what's her name represents is authenticity and true feeling. And that uh, Jesus of suburbia forgets all about what's her name, that this is maybe just what we do as humans, that, we, we try to live authentic lives, but it's really hard to do. And sometimes we, we forget how to do it. That's that's what I've landed on. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> I don't know. But it does make me want to go back and, and listen to the album and, and ponder it some more. And that, that's why I, I like these you know rock operas, concept albums, uh, be, especially if the music is good because you can enjoy it on, on the different levels and you can just enjoy it musically like I did the first time or two that I listened to this. But then once I really paid attention to the lyrics. I thought, wow, oh, okay, this is this is an interesting story. I'm still not entirely sure what it means and if there's a, a moral and a meaning, but I want to puzzle this out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the way they orchestrate again, I you know, I know, I know I mentioned it, but how they could just have a slow song and just kick it up into some aggression and then back off again. It's almost it almost like creates the dynamics of it all. Oh that's yeah. That's a good a, a very good point about this album. Because, yeah, like I said, while there is a lot of sameness in terms of the, the quality of how Green Day sounds, that there are changes of pace and and the, and those go along with the changes in the story. So it makes it a really compelling album. And I'll just say just for myself that I came in having at best kind of a lukewarm feeling about Green Day as a band. Whereas I think for you, it was very much the opposite. You came to this album and, you know, you loved all their, their, their prior music. And yeah. I think it just goes to show that sometimes listening to an album really is a very different experience because I think I had heard three of these songs individually as singles on the radio. And even the songs that I did know, I heard very differently hearing it in the larger context of the album. And then the songs that I didn't know, I really, a lot of them I really liked because it was part of this cohesive whole. Um, so I like this album so much more than I was expecting to. So, uh, I'm really, really glad you chose it. Yeah. The other thing about Green Day also is when they play their music. So, you know, as a musician, timing is number one. You got to have built in metronomes in your head as a musician. I don't care how good you are. There are some people that play really good, but they're just not right in the pocket. Precise drumming. Everybody timing is everything. This drummer, this bass player, and Billy Joe, if you listen to their timing, I get into their timing a lot. And I watch and listen how these, their timing is really amazing. I mean, they are built, all, all of them have, I have this built-in metronome. That gets me, and I, I do a little, I listen a lot to music, and I have an ear for timing. Me, 
as you know, as a bass player and a drummer, that timing has got to be spot on. If you now go and you listen to even a lot of stuff on the radio, you can hear if they have that ear, that timing can be slightly off, but most people won't pick it up. These guys got it. Is there ever a case for you where there's music where the timing isn't totally locked in? They're not completely in the pocket and yet there's still something appealing about it for you? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I will. If it's if it's if the vocals are extraordinary, then that'll make up for that. Yeah. No, it's just interesting because, you know, I watch music videos. Like I'm a big fan of the Rick Beato videos. I don't know if you're, you watch those or are familiar with them, but, um, you know, I'm he, not. he, I, I highly, highly recommend it to anybody who's not familiar with them. What is uh, it? Rick, Rick Beato, B-E-A-T-O. And he's got a channel called everything music. I got hooked into him as I think a lot of people did. He's, he's become very popular with, I think like two or 3 million, uh, subscribers but i think that i got hooked in the way a lot of people did he has the series called what makes a song great and he, he he takes it it breaks it down i think he actually has done a green day episode so if i'm remembering that correctly i will put the link in the notes i'm having uh, a vague memory that he he did one on boulevard of broken dreams ah. which now makes me definitely want to go back and watch that but you know he dissects these songs uh the the production uh you know, he'll break down the, the quality of the vocals, the timing, which you're talking about. But anyways, so I've gone off on a huge tangent here, but you know, he talks about in a lot of the videos that I watch the, the music uh, commentators will, you know, talk about being in the pocket. And I never hear anybody right. talk about somebody not being in the pocket. And that was just, you know, something I was curious about because I, if you're, you know, you're a musician on that level, you're a, pro- a professional. Uh, I suppose you, you, you have that skill, but if, the, if somebody's in the pocket, then somebody's not in the pocket. Yeah, right. Somewhere. Right. That's right. <laughs> so that'll be something I have to listen for maybe a little little bit more keenly. You know, you got to be consistent. There are many mornings I get up before I come here. I pick up my guitar and I'll just turn on the metronome just to keep that rhythm going. And the slower you make the metronome, the harder it is to stay on it. <laughs> As a beginning drummer, I hear you very clearly. <laughs> it's really it's surprisingly difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, going back to uh, American Idiot just for a moment here. So we, we've, we've talked a little bit about each of the tracks, some more than others. Is there anything about the album as a whole or maybe going back to individual tracks that, that maybe we uh, didn't give enough attention? Anything that we haven't talked about that we should? I think we pretty much touched on a lot of it now. That's why I wanted to just fall back on the rhythm of that and the timing of that band. That was the only little thing. That's extra. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, that's really uh, a helpful thing, a uh, helpful concept for me to keep in mind when I listen to music. I think I don't pay enough attention to it. Um, but yeah, that's just something I have wondered about is, is there a value in not being in the pocket? So <laughs> a mystery that maybe we'll, uh, continue to, to be out there for me. So, uh, well, Ray, uh, again, I really appreciate you coming on here. I really, uh, I'm so glad that you picked this album. I'm definitely going to be going back to it. I think a lot more, uh, if people have questions, comments, just want to give you a follow, uh, keep up with your music. What is the best way for, for folks to do that? Perhaps on, on social media, somewhere, website. Yep. So we have, uh, our Instagram is streetwise NYC. 
The website is streetwiseny.com, and we're also on Facebook. Okay. And do you have any uh, live dates coming up or any anything in the works, maybe another album? Yeah, so right now we're recording our second album. The first one is called Crossing Bridges. The second one is called The Other Side. And we have the first five already probably 85, 90% done. And we start recording the next five in about two weeks. We play locally around here right now just to keep ourselves tuned up. But it looks like that they're trying to push us on tour around next May to start traveling around the country. Oh, that's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. I imagine you must really yeah. be looking forward to that, especially uh, with things being locked down for close to two years now. Yeah, it's happening. I'm looking forward to, you know, we'll play for one person just as good as we'll play for 10,000 people. And I'm looking forward to getting out there and making all these people happy. Well, that that is awesome. Looking forward to that. And I'll definitely be uh, checking back on your, your site and your Instagram to uh, keep keep up with that. And if you want to keep up with the show here, uh, well, first of all, there's my main account, Al Melchior BB on Twitter. But really, if you want more show specific information, I'm also on Twitter at you, me album and also on Instagram at you, me album. Both of those you, me album accounts. Uh, I, I will post a few, at least a few days in advance who the upcoming guest is, what album they're they're going to bring on here. So uh, do do check that out. And I thank everybody for listening. And Ray Castronovo, I thank you so much for taking the time out to come here and chat with me and uh, educate me not only on Green Day, but a little bit on, on how I can be a, be a better listener. So I always appreciate that. No, thank you for having me, Al. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, uh, it, is, it is completely my pleasure. So I thank you all again for dropping in, giving this a listen. I will be back again next week. And yeah, keep uh, stay tuned because I am going to work this album into another episode at some point. I am determined to do it. So uh, I'll keep you all posted on that. So until then, everybody, take care, have a good one, and listen to some great music. Another day